why is it that people cannot see long-term results in their health, right? Why are diets designed to be short-term successes and long-term failures? Welcome to the Barbed Podcast, where we talk to the smartest minds from around the world of strength. I'm your host, David Thomas Tao, and this podcast is proudly brought to you by barbend.com. Okay, this is a fun one, and I mean that on a real personal note. We're talking to one of my oldest friends and a bit of a mentor in the fitness industry, Adam Bornstein. He joins the podcast for the second time, and he is about to release a new book called You Can't Screw This Up. It actually releases to the public the day after we publish this podcast. Adam is already a New York Times bestselling author. I was at the release party of his first book, or well, his first book to make the New York Times bestseller list, Engineering the Alpha, back in 2013. Now, 10 years later, he's taking a different approach to health and wellness for the general population. You Can't Screw This Up is looking at a new paradigm in wellness, specifically nutrition and how to make it applicable and accessible to everyone, regardless of your goal, whether it's getting yoked or losing body weight, just trying to live a little bit healthier. Adam is one of the smartest people in fitness, and he's been around for a while. He's a personal advisor to Arnold Schwarzenegger. Maybe you've heard of him. He helped build the supplement company Ladder. He has done so much, and his perspective, no matter the topic in fitness, is really valuable because of the breadth of his knowledge. I had an amazing time recording this one. I hope you all get something out of it, and I hope you enjoy. Adam, thanks so much for joining me. I think the last time you were on the Bar Ben podcast, it was pre-COVID. We were in the old office in Dumbo. We were sitting on the, the most awkward couch. I thought it would be cool to have like a guest couch, but it was one that was much too long for my femurs. So I just had to interview everyone while like leaning back in a stress position. Uh, but we're doing this virtually. And honestly, you look great. How are you feeling today? Uh, I'm feeling good because I get to be chatting with you and I now have a new business idea, long femured couches, No, no, no. specifically designed for Tao. Well, the, the, the problem was the section of the couch I was on, my femur wasn't long enough. So it was, it was very, I had a lot, I look back at the video when we videoed those podcast recordings and I just look super uncomfortable with every guest and it's because I was physically uncomfortable. Mentally, <laughs> emotionally, I was great. Physically, so I should have been asking, "How are you? How are you today?" The backdrop is beautiful I, right now. I bet people can't see people. You know, we're not going to release this as video just so we can play off each other. But for those who don't know, I do have a full whiskey and spirits library behind me that I, I tend it's to record for you guys. It's just to intimidate guests. You are cheating the crowd by not like every the thumbnail for these should just be your backdrop. Oh, I mean it. it ex you don't even see the whole. Oh, you don't even oh see my. the whole. You don't even see oh the whole. My. You know what? This is a fitness podcast. We're gonna. That was a flex. We're gonna that talk about. I just moved the camera you know so Adam could see more bottles. We're doing. This is a fitness yeah. spot. We're here to talk about you. We're not here to talk about my whiskey collection. I could talk about that. I just wanted to see, but now we we can get into the fitness stuff. That's cool. All right. I, I, you know what? You, you, you did the thing. I had a great question queued up and you said something funny and you took me down a line because we've known each other for too long, Adam, but I'm going to commit. Okay. Here's the question. And I talked about this in the intro that we record separately from this. You're releasing another book. I do want to talk about why that's earmarked in my head for exactly a decade ago, but why did you decide to release 
a print book mm. in this year, 2023. You're someone who moves mountains in the digital world. You're someone who moves mountains in the supplement world. And you've you've worked for if you if there's a, a digital fitness publication that you haven't touched, then I don't want to hear about it in some way, shape, or form. Well, thank you. But a print book. Yes. Why now? The short and easy answer is I love writing and I didn't realize how much I loved writing until I was challenged completely in writing this book. Books are hard to write. They're really hard to write. Writing is hard enough as is. Chad GPT be damned. Writing is hard enough as is. Creating a narrative, writing something that you know, lasts forever that tells a story and helps people is really, really challenging. And I used to compare it to like having a baby until I watched my wife have two kids and I realized that I need a way better analogy because that is so disrespectful and wrong on this. But it felt that way, right? It was just like a laborious process. And yeah, I love writing. And in this book was something, you know, I, I came up with the idea with this book in 2014. Oh, wow. Was this the first idea you came up with after Engineering the Alpha was published in 2013? Correct. So I have a I have this best-selling book, right? Do Engineering the Alpha 2012, 2013. And it comes out and it's you know, New York Times bestseller. But then like the, the year after, like the research shows coming out, the book covered a lot about intermittent fasting. And literally like a year after that comes out, start getting all this research being like, yeah, a lot of the claims about intermittent fasting aren't what we think they are. And you kind of have this like, ah, shit moment and then you start asking yourself like you put out this book that you think is really good and people see some results and they stop seeing results and that wasn't my first book i'd done but you start going like what exactly is going on here we have all of these books a lot of them admittedly pretty shitty but you have some pretty good books too some pretty good authors some pretty reputable people and whether you think people read books or not a lot of people don't but the really good books people do read and some people will buy in and they get frustrated. And the the principle, the premise of the book back in 2014 was identifying like, why is it that people cannot see long-term results in their health, right? Why are diets designed to be short-term successes and long-term failures? That was the question that I asked myself. And it took me nine years to figure out how to write that book and I wasn't sure if I was going to do another book because, you know, it took me probably three years to put together a proposal. They did the proposal in 2017. My agent told me that it was, you know, terrible. <laughs> he was kind about it. My agent is wonderful. But he was he was right, right? There wasn't a narrative there. There wasn't a story. And it's hard, right? It's hard when you have something you feel so strongly about and you, like, work three years on putting together. And you're like, yeah, no one's going to want to buy this. And, you know, then I took a lot more time and, you know, I had more experience and I got more perspective and then I wanted to sell the book again. And people were like, yeah, but like, what's the hook? What's the shtick? And I'm like, what do you mean? What's the, what's the hook? I'm like, well, we need like a new, like, what are you going to blame? And I'm like, why do I, why do I got to blame something? And I'm like, well, you gotta, you gotta blame something, right? Like what's, what's the new thing? What's the new inflammation? What's the new hormones? And I'm like, no, it's like, a, it's a book about helping people. Like, that's, that's not a hook. And I'm like, well, it's a book. It's a book about like why people are like not getting like we're seventy percent obese or overweight in this country. The last three decades worldwide, every single country 
has become heavier, right? The food environment sucks. It's hard for people to exercise. Like COVID is difficult. Like what, what do you mean? Like everyone cares about this stuff. We are investing trillions. The wellness industry is a trillion dollar industry. Why are we more unhealthy than ever? And they're like, yeah, but what's the hook? I'm like, ah, son. and I was like, I then got at that point where it's like, I see the game here. Mm-hmm. It, it became so clear. And there are lots of things that really shaped and reshaped the book into, into what it became. But it's, you know, a lot of aspects of print media, as me and you joke about, are, are dead, truly. And that's not necessarily the best, or the, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Right, like they have been replaced, we have evolved, but people still read books. People still gift people books, and media as a general way to open the doors for other people, for the good players in the industry. Right, it's like, can you get in a foot in the door so that you can open up for all these people who maybe have other good book ideas, maybe other things, but like their message isn't sexy enough. And part of why I had to write this book is because I felt so strongly about telling this story. And part of why I wanted to write this book, even though it was an uphill battle, even though a lot of people are like, what's the hook? Is that, you know, at some point you look around and you realize that a lot of the smartest people, a lot of the best voices, they don't get a seat at the table. And my hope is like, how can I write a book, hopefully one that is a bestseller that like gives people a seat at the table and opens up the opportunities for others where there doesn't have to be a hook. There just has to be information that helps people information that helps them understand what is going on and give them a different paradigm and a different approach to help them be healthier. And once that was the mission and what I felt needed to be done, I I couldn't stop until it was written. I am a sucker for a title and I'm a sucker for a brand name. And I love the title of this book. I'm, I'm biased because I have an advanced copy of the book and I've been working my way through it. Those, those are the perks. Those are the perks of the Barbed podcast. Y'all you are, you are just living the good life out here. You get those, you you don't get extra guac at Chipotle, but you do get advanced copies of books from people like Adam Borenstein, the title, you can't screw this up. One would say you, you say you struggled to find the hook. One would say that title is a heck of a hook. That was not the original title of the book. What's the original title? If you, if you can tell us that, if that's not you, proprietary, no, no, I, I am I am an open book. I, you know, the writing process is an interesting one because you have what essentially, you know, I had to play the game a little bit because I wanted to do this. So I knew what I was going to. <laughs> I say this, I say, force my publisher to try and title this. So I knew what I wanted to title it all along. I also knew how I needed to package it up to so they would give me a book deal. Hmm. Right. So like, this is like the behind the scenes stuff. So the, the initial title, which I uh, did not want or like, but did allow me to get a book deal. And I knew that I was going to submit a manuscript with a different title. Sorry, publisher. Hope you love it. That's the first time I've admitted that. But again, this is the transparency space was, so the book that got the book deal was called the takeout diet because part of this book teaches people how to eat takeout. Because I think like one of the, the fatal flaws of so many diet books is like we act like we don't live in a world where people go to restaurants or eat takeout. We act like you're never going to do it. Or when you do, they give you the following advice. Rule number one, never order the bread basket. Rule number two, never order dessert. Rule number three, never drink alcohol. Rule number four, only order a salad. Rule number five, order the entree you want, cut it in half and ask the waiter to take away the other half. 
And all of these, when you truly think about them, listen, if they can work for you, that's great. That's so stupid. That's so stupid and so unrealistic and like legitimately the opposite of health. Like if you are living a healthy life, your body is resilient and you can go out and enjoy a meal. But we don't teach people how to enjoy meals. We don't teach people how to, as I like to say, coexist with the food environment. The food environment is stacked against us. There are a lot of things designed to make us eat more of things that we know we should eat less of. There's these hyper palatable foods should discuss in the book. They're the things that we want to eat. But like the idea that we can't go out and eat take the idea that you can't go to even fast food and eat or like that makes you unhealthy, that you should feel shame and guilt and don't enjoy that. That is so horrible and so untrue. A lot of the things that we think we need to do in order to be our healthiest self are not true. And that is still part of the book. There's a whole chapter that teach people, you know, I, I teach you how to fish and I like catch some fish for you. So like I take the top 50 restaurants in the U.S. and be like, this is just by like volume. Like if you're going to go and you're like on a road trip or you just you know, crave McDonald's, I'm going to show you how to eat something without like losing your mind because there's no need to lose your freaking mind. And like if you're ordering take, I want you to understand how to do it because like a truly healthy lifestyle means that you can adapt to the environment that you are in and still thrive, not fight against that environment. So I knew I was going to call the takeout diet to get a book deal because that was the hook, right? The book that I thought I was going to call it was The Comfort Zone. And the reason why I was doing it is because like behaviorally, when I got down to like why it is that we struggle to change our behavior, I felt that, you know, when you look at the research, when you look at the psychology of human change and you look at like what allows people to thrive and actually change their behaviors, we were taking people too far out of their comfort zone to succeed. And it does not mean that you do not challenge that comfort zone, but you know, there's this beautiful Yerkes-Dodson curve. It's an inverted U and on one end, Right, so the x-axis is going to be your stress and anxiety, and the y-axis is performance, how well you can do something. And when you have no challenge whatsoever, right, you're just like you are sitting on your recliner, and no one's forcing you to do something that's a little bit difficult. You don't see any change. But on the other end of the spectrum, where you give people ten different tasks and ask them to be a hundred percent perfect and restrict everything that they love, you also see no change. And when you start to then stack up the diets and kind of overlap them in terms of this Yerkes-Dodson curve of you know, performance, arousal, anxiety, you realize that the vast majority of them, you know, while maybe well-intended, are designed to fail because we take two people, uh, people too far out of their comfort zone so that psychologically they are more likely to fail. And uh, you know, the argument of the book was, I believe that most diets, most nutrition plans break people mentally and that is why they fail physically. So when writing this, you know, I, I thought the comfort zone was going to be it, but then I, there's one thing I've learned in writing books. It's that, A, make sure people read your book before you put it out. I made that mistake early in my career. A lot of things don't make sense. You don't get feedback. You need harsh criticism to make it as good as possible. And two, put people through the program and a lot of people and get all of their feedback because if you're truly writing for the people and I'm here writing for the people, you shouldn't be so egotistical that you know what's going to work for them. You should listen to them and then adapt to them. So I took 500 people through this. They're all in a Slack, Slack group, going through this for three months. And it was almost like they were punking me because like I was seeing the same thing in like DMs and messages over and over. I'm going to screw this up. I'm going to mess this up. I've lost 10 pounds, but I know I'm going to gain it back. And it was right there in front of me. And the thing that would change things for people fundamentally is when I would say, you can't screw this up. And they'd go like, bullshit. I know I can screw this up. And I'd ask them, why? 
And then the the answer was always the same. It's like, well, I know that I'm either going that I'm going to a like eat dessert, have some sugar, miss a workout. So you start seeing the perception of what a screw up is. Or B, I know your plan is going to get more complicated. I'm going to have to stop eating takeout. You know, I'm going to have to work out six times per week. So you see these two layers that are interacting. One, people believe that certain missteps, because of what they've been told, are these like catastrophic mistakes. So we catastrophize these things. And then one of two things happen in that first category, right? When we make that mistake, when we miss that first workout, when we have that dessert, we either just say, fuck it. And like, you just stop doing the planks, you think you broke it, or you compensate in such extreme ways that it just like breaks you even worse. And the other, the other category, right? The, the part of people like expecting it to become more difficult. People have been taught that like the only way to get super healthy is by going to these like massive extremes. So they just expect that it's going to get more complicated to a point that they can't sustain it. And both of those are fallacies. The things that we perceive as mistakes aren't actually errors at all. They're the things that your body can completely withstand. And the second part is like, it doesn't have to get more difficult in order for it to get more effective. And that's that idea of the comfort zone because you expand your comfort zone because the more that you build certain habits, the more that you acquire certain skills, the more that you figure out that works for you while you are in that comfort zone, the more you can keep what is good and serves you and abandon what does it without pushing you to the edge of sanity. And it became so damn clear. And I'm like, this has got to be, you can't screw this up because we have to show people, A, what you thought it takes to get healthy is not true. B, what you think is a mistake is not truly a mistake. And C, the progression of what it takes for you to get healthier is not what you think. But you're fed that because that is how you get these short-term wins that make you believe it's working in longer-term failures. I, I, I don't have a microphone to drop. Like I'm using a headset right now but that was such a nice narrative and honestly one of the tighter and richer narratives for naming a book because i've asked people that question before and it's sometimes a cringe question because people are sometimes like oh my publisher told me to name it this like people have said that on this podcast and i believe i believe it and i did not i did not plant this question ahead of time with you but i was like i bet adam has a good story and if he doesn't have a good story, he can Mark Twain the shit out of this and make it seem really engaging. So I, I'm just kind of like, I was just, I was just watching you go through that. Okay. I do want to change tack a little bit. And by the way, thank you for sharing that story. Because I think that when people come on this podcast and are talking about new projects or they're talking about, you know, whether it's a professional project, a labor of love, something they're doing for a small audience, something they're doing for a big audience, there's a level of vulnerability there. And one thing I really admire about you, Adam, is over the course of your fitness career, you've made it clear you're not afraid to share that vulnerability and you're not afraid to share those failures, like spending three years on a book proposal that ultimately doesn't get bought up and having to go back to the drawing board, right? Not everyone would say that because that could be seen as a failure, but it's a step along the way to what is hopefully another successful book launch, something you're very familiar with. In regard to successful book launches, the fitness industry has changed a little bit over the past 10 years. We first met over, over 10 years ago. And one thing that I remember almost exactly 10 years ago is the book launch party for Engineering the Alpha, which I was not 
expressly invited to, but did sneak into, and you were very kind, and you pretended to be happy to see me. I was happy to see you. And even though I technically wasn't on the list, I remember telling the the bouncer. I don't even know who had that list. That's that just means that we had a bad list. It, you had a, there was no David Howe on the list. That's that's an issue. You had a very friendly person working the door, and I was able to say, "Oh, you know, you know a guy, I know a guy." Anyway, and I remember that was a very interesting party. It was in Manhattan. It was like three blocks from where I lived, so I was like, "There's no way I'm going to miss this because the FOMO's real." A lot of folks were there. I think. People were still at the time looking to Tim Ferriss as like the guy in fitness publishing. Right. I think it was after yep. so, some years after Four Hour Body. It was around the time of Four Hour Chef, and yep. and you know it was the place to be in the fitness industry. If you could take that slice in time, ten years ago, that book release party, and like go back and be at your own book release party. And tell yourself something. What would it? What would it be? Mm. So many things. Well, okay. Uh, let, let's let's focus yeah. on the fitness industry because I know there might be a lot of big life lessons. Oh, you'll become a parent. A of, you'll do this. A lot, a lot of a lot of life lessons in there. Wow, it, it would just be like this industry that you see right now is going to look nothing like you think it will in five years, and it will almost be indistinguishable ten years from now. Because the fitness industry and the, I would say the media industry at large has shifted because the gatekeepers have changed, yeah. right? So the ability to reach anyone is now almost limitless, which is beautiful. But the ability to get attention is arguably more challenging because anyone can do it. And that also means that people can manipulate what it takes to get attention, which in the health and fitness space means the crazier shit that you say, the more likely it is to become viral. And that fitness and nutrition will move more in a direction of tribalism because that fuels the industry. You know, for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. So prepare for a universe where either dietary or training beliefs will become so deeply rooted and vertically integrated where you can make money off of it, where you need to have villains where not this is what is good for you is what gets people in the door, but this is why all this other shit is terrible for you. And it's an interesting landscape because wellness is fundamentally designed to help people. That's why I'm in this industry. I know it's why you're in this industry. I like entertaining people i like educating people i like helping people i think if anything frustrates people about me it's that i'm relatively agnostic about like what is best because so much of what is best is up to the individual now there's a lot of shit that doesn't work at all but there's so much stuff that does work that it's kind of silly to try and convince people like this one thing but that's it's kind of what the industry has become. You know, it's why what I like about Barbend and you guys understand community and you understand who you're for. And you know, there's just I have so much respect about not only the content that you put out, but the approach that you take, right? It it, it isn't so much at odds or like pointing the finger to the people, but that that's the way the industry has gone and it's been very, very interesting. But I understand why, because like these factions are what allow these approaches to be so successful. But the, the byproduct of that, the collateral damage of that is that people are more confused than ever, I would argue. 
people get like buy into something almost like cult-like and they're not sure up from down and like they just get angry about things that there's no need to be angry about when like all of us are just trying to be healthier and happier and make the most of life which can be really difficult so i think watching how these factions have become so deeply rooted and watching how so many people and like when we're all trying to help people we're fighting about what's best and like you just kind of spit and venom it's an interesting place to navigate because i just kind of want to help everyone who's out there wanting to help people even if they have different opinions on the best way to do so you think this book is antithetical to the I'll call it tribal verticalization of fitness. Yeah, because I tell people, like, I don't care if you're vegan or you're carnivore. <laughs> I don't care if you like CrossFit or you want to go for walks. I care about like helping you become healthier by giving you stable habits and changing your mindset because we are put in a situation where the difficulties of life throw us off from the ambition of health. And that happens because life can be stressful, right? I know a lot about nutrition and I know that I should cook every single meal, but I am the cook in my house. And I can tell you, I'm fine admitting it. After a long day of work and picking up my kids from school, they're nice that I just want to order takeout, even if it's not like the healthiest thing to do. And there should be no shame and guilt over that. So the, the question is like, why are we shaming and guilting people? Why are we not helping them understand how to really deal with what is very natural in life? which is like hard days, imperfection, and a desire to make it all work for you, right? Why are we not building people up mentally so they can succeed physically as opposed to tearing them down? Why are we making them choose between low carb and low fat when both of them can be healthy? Why don't we help them identify what foods they enjoy more and then see how that works, right? I talk about there are five tools in the book and one of them is like, choose your plus one. What I mean by that is like a foundation of your plate should be protein and fiber. And that's simple because it's more likely to leave you satisfied. When people are trying to lose weight, which a lot of people want to do, your body can kind of be an asshole to you. And it like it changes your hunger hormones so that as you lose weight, your hormones change so that you're actually hungrier. No fun. But it doesn't mean you can't lose weight. It means that you have to eat in a way to make you satisfied. You have to eat in a way that makes you satisfied both mentally and physically. So the physical part is like eat the foods that are most likely to not allow those hunger pangs to just dominate you and psychologically make sure that you don't cut out all of the foods that you love. There's this crazy study that it's about the journal appetite where people were told for one day not to eat the foods that they love eating. And what ended up happening? One day, they ate 133% more calories. And then when you extrapolate over a month, those people gained a lot more because this whole idea of full restriction puts pressure and like we all know that we want what we can't have. All it does is actually increase cravings when you create these boundaries for people right? Actually, so when you create these barriers for people. So it's like, yeah, I look at this and I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I can't be dogmatic about this or I can't sell you a plan that will get you f really, really fast results, but then like watch you crumble and burn. And I'm like, is that the goal? Is, it, is the goal to get you to keep on buying in and buying in and buying in? And it's like, no, I'd rather say like, hey, if you like carbs, here's how you should eat. If you like fat, here's how you should eat. If you prefer eating a plant-based diet, here's how you should eat. If you like uh, intermittent fasting, whether you don't like all of these different methodologies, they're just structures that give you a framework for how you can do your day, how you can eat. But we, we don't have to be so dogmatic because the, the research is pretty, pretty strong that like a lot of different diets work. 
we're still trying to argue about like what the best diet is and it's it is the wrong question the wrong question the right question is like why are people not able to sustain this and they're not able to sustain it because of the psychological load and because of the lack of sustainability and because it is not designed to help people from a cost complexity compliance those three c's a lot of diets are too expensive a lot of diets are too confusing to understand and a lot of diets are too hard to follow for the long term right so i talk a lot i worked with uh with you mentioned a bit earlier tim ferris i worked with tim for a long time on a lot of different projects that manage this podcast whether you love tim or hate him know this say it in the book tim is brilliant he looks at things in different ways and forces you to ask better questions that help you get better outcomes and the question he would always ask me in terms of helping him run his business this is not from like a diet center, but this is a business question he's like uh, if this were easy, what would it look like? That's a really interesting question because like, it's a hard one to answer. And when I would talk to people, like if this were easy, what would it look like? Well, I was like, well, like it wouldn't cost so much. It'd be easier to understand. It'd be easier to follow. So my job was like, how do I write a book that fundamentally helps people to understand that like cost shouldn't get in the way, complexity shouldn't get in the way, and compliance shouldn't be too hard that it's like, it's difficult for you to change your behavior. And that's part of the reason why it took nine years to write this thing. But like, if you solve for that, regardless of your fitness or your nutrition preferences, right? If you remove the barriers, if this were easy, what would it look like, right? It would be affordable. It would be easy to understand. It would be doable. Things change for people. Think people get healthier and they do without having to do a lot of the restrictive behaviors that we typically associate with health. Adam Bornstein, the book comes out May 23rd. This podcast is releasing May 22nd. I mean, it's like right here. You can order and you'd like get it like the next day or two. Where is the best place for people to follow along after they order the book? And they, you know, and they sit under the covers and they make like a pillow for it. And they use a flashlight to read it at night. Like, like, like I did with some of the early Harry Potter books. You don't, you don't still do that. This isn't about me, Adam. This isn't about me. Where, where's the best place for people to follow along or the best places for people to follow along with you and the work you do even beyond being what I hope is soon a multi, multi-time multi New York Times bestselling author, how can people follow along with you? You can follow me at Born Fitness on all the socials. And if you want to get the book, you can go to can'tscrewthisup.com. So I just dropped the U. It's literally can'tscrewthisup.com. Got a lot of cool bonuses there as well, because I believe if people are going to spend their hard-earned money, I want to give you way more value than just the book itself. I think the book more than stands on its own, but I am all about delivering value. And I also think about paying it forward. So people get two books, a lot of people are like these book bonuses, like buy 50 books. That's ridiculous. Who needs 50 books? You buy one book, you buy two books. You have two books, you give one to a friend. If you do that, I got even more bonuses. And there's a contest where I will fly you out to go and train with Arnold Schwarzenegger because... As I talk about in my acknowledgments, I think my my value system is life is about two things. It is about people and it is about experiences. Meet great people, you'll have great experiences. Have great experiences, you'll meet great people. I needed that to be the kind of the foundation of what I was setting up when I was putting this book out there. So I'm trying to help people meet other great people and have great experiences. I, I do want to say that Adam was kind, but he didn't actually go for my instead of structure, which is that if you buy three books, you don't have to train with David Tao. That was actually that was actually an incentive structure I proposed. If you only buy if you buy zero, one or two books, there's a chance I might show up and try and train with you. But if you buy three, you have the get out of jail free card, and I and I 
promise scouts honor i won't show up at train at your gym i'm going to add the third tier buy three books never have to train with david tao it is now that's the unlock bestseller status here we go i had to give you that extra tier adam thanks so much for joining me today it's always a pleasure and i truly appreciate it thank you